0: Hey, everyone, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Marcelo, co-founder, COO, and CTO of Remote, a global payroll, tax, HR, and compliance platform that's raised nearly $500 million in funding. Marcelo, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I've been following along with the Remote journey for years, and I'm so honored to have you on as a guest.
1: Awesome. Uh, happy to be here.
0: Yeah, so before we begin talking about everything that's going on there at Remote, can we just begin with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Marcelo. I'm a COO and slash CTO and co-founder at Remote. Today, I run pretty much everything from engineering, CX, and operations, about like 80% of this company. Previous to Remote, which was founded in January 2019. I used to be a VP of engineering in a few startups and CTO as well a few times. And my background and career is very much um, follow the wind. I've done many things across many different companies completely different roles at times, and it just followed, to be honest, my passion and the things that I really like to be doing. I met Jobe, my co-founder, 12 years ago. Wow. Give or take. And the idea of remote, such as it is today, starts about that time. It, of course, matured and changed many forms across many years, but that's my background. Wow. That's I'm an engineer cool. by trade, by the way. And where'd you guys meet 12 years ago? So, you know, those stories where, you know, girlfriends drags boyfriend into meeting friend with boyfriends. Uh, It was pretty much this. Like my girlfriend, today wife, at the time, I just moved to Lisbon because I'm from a small city up north in in Portugal called Aveiro, And I moved to Lisbon. I knew no one. It's, you know, for all intents and purposes, I come from a very small, small town that you can cross just by walking in 10 minutes maybe 20, and it was massive to me. So I knew no one. And so my my girlfriend said, well, remember this friend of mine from college, she's in town and she's with her boyfriend. And I was like, should we go meet them for coffee? And I was like, oh, come on. I don't feel like it, you know, I'm not that kind of double date person. But anyway, I had nothing better to do. I was about to start working the next day. And I was like, let's just go It'd be easy too kill off the nerves anyway. And then uh, we arrived and Job was there with uh, his girlfriend. Luckily, we ended up marrying our uh, girlfriend. So we didn't become awkward to tell the story. <laughs> that, that was it.
0: <laughs> wow, that's a great story. Now, take me back to the early days when you were, let's say, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old in the small town there in Portugal. What were your aspirations like when you were a young kid?
1: Oh, if you ask my parents, they would say that I I love to break stuff and mainly computers and things like that. I don't know. I was always very nerdy. I was very much into everything Star Wars, Star Trek, anything sci-fi. I would be all over it as much as possible because, you know, the ability that we could get all these things and for sure about that time, it was especially, you know, in small villages, it was not super easy we would have to travel quite a lot and then it's all very manual or it wasn't easy at all. But my grandfather had a spectrum and I was completely, when I when I saw it, it was it used to be covered with this old cloth because, you know, in a small village like ours, no one had a computer. Like literally no one had a computer. People would talk about it, but, you know, everyone knew what a computer could do or was, but they had it in banks, but no one had one at home. And so my grandfather was also very geeky and nerdy. He had one and he was an accountant, but he loved it. And so I started to read the manuals. And by the way, I'm Portuguese, I didn't know how to read English at the time. I was just looking at the command lines and the things that it could apparently do if I typed in a few words. And that's, I guess, how it started, especially in tech for me.
0: And do you remember that, like, moment when you were like, okay, wow, this is
1: something that I want to pursue as a career? I remember I was playing around with the spectrum. And of course, I could play the games, fairly lengthy, hefty process. But I remember once I found this page in the book that had, like, if you type in this sentence, it's going to draw a line for you. The function was like plot or something. I was like, what? So I tried it. And... There you go. You type the command and something happened. And I was like, so I'm creating stuff. So this is the base for literally everything that is tech related. And to me, that was a bit of a ha-ha moment. And it's a double ha-ha moment. It was one because I was so excited about it. And so, you know, mm-hmm. hyped for the fact that I could type in a few commands and the computer would do something that I would tell it to do. And then I remember I had a birthday party at the next day and I grabbed the book and I took it with me. And I had a bunch of cousins there, roughly my age. And I was trying to tell them all about this and they care nothing. They were like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. And I was so in love with that. And I was like, okay, this is different. They don't really share this passion of mine. I honestly don't care. And there was a double up moment where I, I knew that I was in love with it. And second, I knew that other people would somehow see me differently. But honestly, I couldn't care less.
0: And when you go back to your town now, do you get a hero's welcome? Does everyone finally understand, you know, what it was that fascinated you so much back then?
1: It is weird, yes. Also because when remote you know grew so fast, we hit all the numbers and it was all the news and all the newspapers. My grandmother, who's now eighty six, when we got the unicorn status and we 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 were on the news, she bought the newspaper and when door to door to all her immediate neighbors showing the newspaper. And and of course, she was super proud. And then she called me and she was like, you know, I uh, showed the newspaper to all my neighbors. They're all commenting that it's amazing, but no one understands anything or what it means. And I was like, well, thank you, but do you understand what it means? And she was like, I don't, but you and your co-founder look very pretty. (laughs) (laughs) To me, I, I guess that was the best that I could uh, ever hope for.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's awesome. Now, something else that you mentioned there—you know, becoming a unicorn. So, can you take me back to the day that that became a reality for you? You know, that first day where you found out that the company was going to be a unicorn. How did that feel for you as the founder and you know, the builder behind this company?
1: I don't think that day has arrived yet. So, remote is as the brand calls it, we're fully remote. We don't have any office. The whole team is distributed across the globe and in over a hundred countries. But the interactions that happen on a day-to-day basis, the amount of people that I personally know, probably like 50 people, even though the company today is a thousand, is over a thousand actually. It's like, when I think about remote in my mind, always those, you know, 50 people, maybe a hundred tops, And because I work from home, my home and my home office, I never got that sense of walking into a massive building and having, you know, your brand in a big logo or something. So I never had that feeling of, holy shit, this is massive. I see the amount of people we employ across the world and the customers that we have and the numbers, the amount of people that we add every single month, sometimes day. Mm -hmm. And it does share a bit of that oomph, I would say, but I never had, and I've been interviewed on TV a few times as well, but honestly, hopefully it doesn't come off as a humble brag. I have no idea what it means, because to me, it doesn't feel more like the day that we started Mm -hmm. as our vision is still unfulfilled, right? We're still starting that. And so long story short, I don't know if I've ever had that epiphany moment,
0: Do you think you're ever going to have it? Do you think there is like a a finish line or a a certain point that you're going to get to where you'll say to yourself, hey, wow, it it feels like you've made it?
1: I think that the day that you either end up on a, you know, ipo or something similar, that you see the name of your company in, you know, a recognized stock exchange, then it will probably start having that, holy shit, this is real. But I don't think that before then And honestly, I'm a very anxious person, and so I'm always looking up to the future and trying to do more and do better, go faster. And so if you ask me about the past and things, I not want to stop and, you know, dwell or even linger about past, you know, thoughts or situations. But, you know, if you ask me if there's a moment that's going to make you feel that, that may be it. And if it doesn't happen then, then I don't think it'll ever happen.
0: And something else you just mentioned there that you're an anxious person, and I think there's a lot of other founders listening in who deal with some anxiety and some stress. What have you done and how have you, you know, tamed that anxiety and
1: that anxiousness? So I often say this, it's one thing that I learned, I was always a very anxious person, because anxiety is either a super problem or a superpower, right? Sometimes it takes over and it's a super problem, and sometimes you can take over it and it's a superpower. The reason for it, you know, anxiety exists because your body goes into primordial instinct mode and gives you all the energy to fight tigers and bears and whatever else was around the time where we needed to fight stuff to survive. And that's why your pituitary gland makes you see and feel these things that don't exist. So you go into hyperdrive, your heart beats faster, stronger, you're more alert, you don't need to sleep as much, you don't need to eat as much. The problem with this is that if you utilize it in a way, in short bursts, in the right moments, for the things that you can really make use of, out of it, then it's going to be amazing because it literally acts as a drug. Because it'll, you're going to have superpower. The problem is when you allow it to faster and to spread into every single thing that doesn't need it. Right? If you're having coffee or tea with friends. And all of a sudden you're all jittery because you're thinking about work rather than laughing or you know you stop taking care of yourself. And that is a super problem. And mind you, remote is one of the hardest challenges I've ever had because we started the company in January in 2019. My wife was five months pregnant when I started this company. I became a dad the same week that we closed our first round And a few months later, so my kid was born with club feet. So it was a medical condition. His feet were turned inwards. Requires a lot of interventions and physical therapy and surgery and all that. uh, The first few weeks and months of life. And a few months into it, and we had a pandemic going over the world. We come out of a pandemic and we go into a war and world recession. And so my... (laughs) Ever since I started remote, it has been this weird moment where, you know, you put yourself to the test almost every three months. And honestly, first year and a half of remote, you know, I was used to go all in, use all energy in my body to solve every little thing. I was an engineer, so I was just CTO as much as just word can mean. But, you know, the team, I grew the team from two engineers to, or from no engineer to you know, 100 engineers, and all of a sudden, it was always massive dialed in. And the problem that comes with that is that you stop taking care of yourself. You realize that you're always near burnout. You start to, you know, neglect the rest of life that is worth living and worth enjoying. And I think a lot of pride in my work, and I really like what I do. I'm I'm really passionate about it. it doesn't feel like I'm working at all, which is also part of the problem but it consumes you, right? In that moment, I had to, I remember I took a vacation a week off and at the end of that week, I realized that I had not taken one single peaceful, quiet moment for myself. I was always either thinking about work or actually on Slack, on my phone or on my computer while my wife was, you know, taking care of her kid and we're trying to relax on the beach. And so ended up no one having any relaxing time. And to me, the most important lesson was You have to take care of yourself. And when you take care of yourself, it doesn't mean that you go easy or that you go slower, but you have to understand what is your maximum output. And your maximum output always comes with trade-offs. You can go at max rotation like an engine, max rev for a short period of time. But if you're always max rev, you're going to burn out the engine very easily. And so you have to understand what those limits are, where anxiety stops being a superpower and becomes a super problem. And the more you get to know yourself across the, the journey and the challenges, the better you'll do on the long term. So that was my long term, long arch of story around being an anxious founder.
0: Well, it's super valuable to hear that, you know. especially a lot of our listeners right now, all of them are B2B tech founders. And I think burnout is a major issue right now with founders. So having them understand how you've navigated that, how you've you know really controlled your anxiety and turned that, what's the saying, a headwind into a tailwind, it sounds like. Yeah. That's super, uh, super useful to know. And I, I think founders will really appreciate hearing that from you. Now, can we talk about the early days? So obviously remote work now is all the rage. Everyone's talking about it. It seems like it's actually becoming somewhat of a controversial topic where people are debating it, which is you know, probably good for you. But in 2019, I don't think remote work was nearly as accepted. So take us back to those early days. Why did you really say remote work is the future and we're going to bet on that and we're going to build a company around it? What was that like in those early days?
1: We started this company because we had a personal belief. So both my co-founder and I come from almost opposing angles in a way regarding remote. Not angles, but vectors rather. So yo our CEO, he used to be VP product at GitLab. As you know, GitLab is a pure remote, pure distributed company. They grew a lot. They became a reference for being a distributed company, a remote company. But they had a massive issue with not just hiring, but paying people compliantly across the world. And of course it's hard. And they were doing all the good work and they laid the foundation for a lot of what we know today to be the textbook good way of working remotely. But There was an issue with, fundamental issue with how you hire people across the world, how you pay people across the world, and what work conditions you provide to them. And when you look at the alternatives, they were so clunky. They were so designed either for just treating people as contractors or going the old-fashioned route of employee of record you know, very localized, very outdated way of employing someone that is not in the same country as a company that didn't scale, didn't work, was slow, painful, no one liked it, very expensive. And this was, you know, in the way of companies that needed to hire and grow fast across the world. On my end, I was VP of engineering at a time and I felt this pain where I wanted to hire the best people in the world for a role, but for one, I couldn't convince them to move down to my country or the country we're operating out of. That was one. Second, even if I could convince them, it would take significant amount of cash. And then, thirdly, what if people move in, they move there all their lives, and, and then two or three months in, it doesn't work? Like it, it was a massive pain. You'd struggle to find the best candidates. It would take forever, especially if you have high standards. Uh, it would take forever. So there was, This whole messed up world, you know, painful even to deal with. And when we started conversations about, you know, Yob and I had many products and projects across the year that, you know, some people, they get together and they go play soccer or go do something fun together. Yob and I, we had fun building products and projects across the years, aside of our own main projects and careers. But we never sold anything because we had fun building stuff, not necessarily selling it. So we built, I don't know, five, six, seven different projects and products that we fully built end-to-end, front-end, back-end, mobile experiences. We never, we got to the end, we're like, okay, that's done. Uh, We're going to move on to the next one. And we, we started debating, you know, we know enough. We've been around enough. We are advisors to other companies. We are mentors to a lot of professionals. What are we missing? You know, what are the things that are worth solving and worth betting your career on? And, you know, we both share this pain around how employment happens and how people are hired and who you can hire and how you bridge this gap between talent and opportunity. And the discussion around remote started like that, even without the name behind it. But we knew we we had to solve and sort the remote work you had a lot of companies going fully remote and it was a very clear trend. You go to all the job boards out there and you see the amount of remote job ads at the time growing daily. And so we saw into it, there's no solution for this. There's nothing. The companies that were in the space were still doing the same things that they used to be doing like 20 years, if not more. And we knew it would be a big endeavor But the moment we decided to start it anyway, because we're stubborn, and I remember the day that we announced what we were doing, I think on Medium, we both wrote each a blog post and said, well, we're starting this company. We don't know exactly the details of it yet, but we're going to start this. And I remember that we had this massive influx of people wanting to buy from us. And we were so early, I don't even think you can call it early stage that we knew for a fact that was hit. It was going to be a hit because of the demand and the need of the people reaching out to us even before we launched the company. And it, that was the beginning of it all.
0: Wow, that's so amazing. Now talk to me about the domain. At what point in those conversations did you decide, okay, we're going to buy this domain. I have to assume it wasn't, yet you know, $10 on Namecheap to <laughs> buy the domain. So, I wish. <laughs> what was that like?
1: Yeah. So we started to debate, you know, the worst discussion ever of either an entrepreneur or someone working in a product development naming things. And naming things is always a problem. And we're like, okay, well, so what's the word we're going to call it? I don't know. Like, we're working on a remote space. Remote? It was like, oh, that's near impossible. How are you, you know? And we looked up remote. And remote at the time was a historical job board. Someone was running a job board for, I don't know, four or five years on the domain remote.com, but the platform felt a bit outdated and somewhat, so a bit stalled, I guess. So we reached out to the founders at the time and said, well, hey, we're so-and-so, love to meet you. What are you doing with this these days? We have this idea. We would love to give it a shot. And they were gracious enough to reply And we realized they had started another company at the time, a very successful company still today in the crypto space. And they were not actively developing on it. They were maintaining it because it used to be a hallmark and it used to be a past project of theirs. And we said, look, we have this idea. It's a crazy idea. We have no investment. We are just starting out. What do you think? And from then on was essentially negotiation, how we could uh, take over their business and essentially bought it. And that was it. It was, as far as the cost goes, I usually jokingly say it it was a kidney. And to the value that it's warranted today, it was more than one kidney, probably many kidneys, but it is uh, well worth, at least within this context, a figurative kidney goes, it was well worth it.
0: So, obviously, a lot of companies benefited from... COVID 19, in a way, where it, you know, I think accelerated trends that were already taking place and and just made them move even faster. And I'm guessing remote was one of the companies that benefited from that. But that would have been what, like spring 2020, maybe mid 2020 for that to happen. So let's talk about that time period in between January 2019 and before COVID. Were there ever any moments of doubt where you were questioning what you were doing? Were there ever any moments where it just, felt really hard and you were like, shit, maybe we're just going to have to throw in the towel. Did you ever experience any dark moments like that pre-COVID?
1: No, fortunately not. So as I said, we started the company and soon after we launched this website, very basic one, and it didn't say much. It just said, hey, employ everywhere across the world globe with remote. And we got so many inbound requests for sales And we're a very tiny team. I guess we're at the time like, I don't know, 10, 20 people between engineers, ops, uh, HR, and and sales, finance. We had so many requests for inbound that we had over two months back-to-back sales calls. And we had people reaching out on, on LinkedIn saying, hey, I want to buy from you, but I only have a scheduled call in like two months. I need it faster. Can you make it happen? And so we knew because if this was happening then, with the growth and the trend of remote work growing, you know, it would just get better. And we were not even anticipating, of course, uh, the pandemic and the strength that remote work had or gained through it all.
0: Now, can we talk a little bit about growth? So obviously, you're growing fast. I've read you know, some numbers in the news. You never know, you know how accurate those yeah. are. A lot of speculation there. But... Can you just tease us a little bit and just give us anything that demonstrates you know, the amount of growth that you're seeing? Because quite clearly, you guys are growing at an insanely fast rate.
1: Yeah. So not going into a lot of details, I'm not one to go fully public and brag about every single thing because to each their own. But what I can tell you is that someone told me recently that we were the fastest growing company in Europe ever. You know, in four years of existence, we're a thousand people a remote. We're in over 100 countries the team, and we're serving the whole globe in terms of employment, paying contractors, helping employers, paying people. We have dozens of thousands of people across the world employed through us, and even more so being paid through us, which is uh, for a company that it feels often that, and I say to this to the team, that we're like a six feet tall, four-year-old baby. Because in one end, you feel like you're growing we were valued the last round at over $3 billion as a company in the first, you know, not even three first years of the company. And we've been growing insanely, even through the pandemic, through a downturn. I don't know, sky's the limit, I guess.
0: Nice. That must be a good feeling to have as the founder.
1: Yes. So I'm not going to say otherwise, I couldn't ask for more, to be honest. But I will say that I almost pushes the boundaries of what you can do with a certain short amount of time, because, you know, there's a Portuguese saying, you can't get nine women to deliver a baby in one month. Uh, (laughs) So there's so much you can do with physics. Not that this, you know, saying is very accurate today, but uh, there's so much you can do with physics.
0: (laughs) I love that. Now, something else I want to talk with you about is this idea of category creation. So What are your views on category creation and what are your views on the market category or market categories that Remote is part of?
1: Well, I can say that the play or the market that existed when we started does not exist today, or at least not in the same way. That is one. The reason why I'm saying this is because the companies operating in this space, they used to operate in a such old-fashioned, manual, outdated way that once we showed up, and started building things that, you know, creating a product out of a service in the employment space and payment space. That meant that, you know, it is roughly the same experience as after the first iPhone came about. Then there was the iPhone and everything else. And that was what we felt because the amount of customers that we started having and putting on and and onboarding were so many. And the feedback that we got was that there's honestly nothing like this. And to me, it felt a bit like, eh, of course, this is egotistical thinking and narcissistic past that, you know, it felt like a different market altogether because you couldn't even compare our solution to what existed. But second, as far as market, of course, then the market became, there were a few more companies started in the space that also grew quite fast. And the reason why everyone is growing super fast in the space is that, you know, the total addressable market, They it grew significantly. It grew because, All of a sudden, you had only a a percentage of the market that worked remotely, but now all of a sudden you have the whole market the whole world that wants to work remote or at least in part hiring remote, not just because it's doable, but because you hire the best people and it's a good financial use case. And so the market itself changed, not just in format, but in size and massively in size. That's at least my perception to the day. And it's not shrinking, quite the opposite, still expanding. The opportunities are unraveling and revealing themselves as time progresses.
0: And I feel like opportunities must just be flooding your way at all times. How do you decide which opportunities to pursue? Because I'm sure it just has to be endless at this point.
1: Yes. And we we learned the hard lesson over 2022. We had at some point, we had so many different initiatives across the company happening that, you know, I always had this mode of should always keep it simple and focused. But one of the worst things you can do is assume that you don't need to hyper prioritize your work, because there's, as I said, the growth was so much, was so fast, honestly, unprecedented levels that no one in the company, even the best execs we had, had experience with this sort of growth, and so you get sort of mixed up in the weeds of of your own hubris, thinking that you don't need to hyper prioritize and that you can pursue every single avenue of product, of service, of new experience, of new thing to do. And in our space, the possibilities are endless. You can expand to any vertical, to any horizontal, to any functional areas that, you know, are crossing, you know, the kinds of businesses that we're building. And at some point, we looked even at our financial plan and said, well, this doesn't make sense, right? We're a massive company. We're growing super fast. But the fact is that we have so many products in the pipeline that we need to be faster bringing them to market. And so we had to take a a moment to breathe and and say, no, we're not gonna pursue this amount of different products. We're gonna hyper-prioritize and we're gonna focus on the things that we really believe in and what is the vision for remote. And so hyper-prioritization is one of the best important things that if you were to say that the only thing that matters running any kind of business, let alone a fast-growing one, which is, you know, look at the end of the day at the amount of things that you want to do, and you say, what are the top three things that I can do to really change the game and to bring it up what I want it to be? And you assume that everything else can just go down in flames. And that's it. Hyper-prioritization is only active or in play when it hurts, when your brain is playing tricks and telling you, but you can also do this in parallel. <laughs> and right away, you can also do this And you should also try that. And you know it, you're hyper-prioritizing and doing it correctly when you are indeed choosing to do those things that you will be doing that play a part in the vision of the company.
0: I think you've captured the internal voice there that many founders have in their head of, hey, you can also do this you can also do that. You've captured that quite well.
1: Yeah, hopefully so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, when you started, there wasn't a lot of competition, it sounds like, but today, the competitive landscape seems to be getting quite full. You know, we had Oyster on a couple months ago and Chad with them, and we've had a few smaller companies, but there's definitely a lot of money flowing into this space. But I think, you know, arguably you could say remote is just dominating this and, and you guys are just really killing it right now. What are you doing right? And what have you gotten right so far that's just really allowed you to break through the noise and just really dominate this space?
1: So for one, we're designing an experience or product for people. We're not in the business of, you know, creating an intermediary step between the employer and the employee, between the talent and opportunity. Our vision is to bridge that gap, is to create the opportunities for everyone across the world and to help with distribute wealth. That is our core belief. And this is why we started remote. And is one of the reasons why we still win so much when going head-to-head with even some competitors in the space is because there's a fundamental lack of understanding of what it is to serve, what it is to provide, you know, employment or the facilities to pay someone and bridge the gap between talent and opportunity. And doing it in a way that is transparent to everyone, that is clear, and that optimizes for... What the future of work should be. The future of work should not be another EOR solution or another you know middle step. It should just be you getting the best job you can possibly get around the world, your employer doing the best hire they can possibly hire across the globe for their budget. And that should be it. Like anything else, it plays no part. So all the things that you can do to make that better, and of course, there are so many different details along the way. You know, today we're the most, you know, company that has most security and privacy certifications in this space. You have to take into consideration that you're taking the most private, considerate, and confidential information of everyone across the world. Like all our platform is PII. You have uh, personal identifiable information. You have people's addresses, you know, their contracts, their payments, their salaries, their, you know, social conditions and contributions. Healthcare uh, healthcare issues as well. So you have to take into consideration every single item and variable that makes for a very complex puzzle and abstract it in a way that's just simple. And if you create a great experience out of a great product, there's nothing else that you need to be worried about. To be honest.
0: Nice. I love that. Now, on the topic of remote work, and I'd mentioned this earlier in the interview, you know it's a, a heavily debated topic. It's impossible to go on LinkedIn and, and not see people fighting in the comments about if you, know, you should be remote or hybrid or everyone should be back in the office. Yeah. Even just today, or maybe it was yesterday in the news, I mean, Amazon announced their return to office plan, and I think it was like 16,000, 20,000 workers are now petitioning to not have to go back to the office. So... How active are you in those conversations of really trying to be an advocate for remote work and defend it and evangelize it? Is that top of mind and something that, you know, you consider part of your responsibilities as the founder of this company or the co-founder of this company?
1: My biggest responsibility is helping to bring about the future of work. Anything else is, I would say, secondary in a way. Ever since we started, we've become advisors to, Really, really big companies, even companies that are not our customers, and so because we possess the knowledge and the skill sets, the people and the product to solve a very important pain that is suffered across the globe in every single area, I've never created any sort of gatekeeping mechanism over it. Meaning, we've always done, and we still do quite a lot on a weekly basis, on advising, mentoring supporting even people, as I said, that are not our customers, because I think we do have a duty in that respect. We started to build out possibly the best future we can for the people that I come after, or the people that are still in, in need of it, because if we live in comfortable, you know, countries, cities, locations, we have no clue about what's going on in the rest of the world. And I think we have a of gratitude towards each other, but also of kindness And I think the future of work is very much towards improving how the human race is evolving and spend their best time on. And as a company, I really believe fundamentally that we have to play a role in it. And we are playing a role in it. We did quite a lot and we're still doing quite a lot in the war for Ukraine as well to support everyone we possibly can. We work with governments across the world too. And so it's an ongoing journey to make this better for literally everyone. Nice,
0: that's so amazing. Now, last couple of questions here for you. So, the first one, Marcelo, you know, you obviously reached a, a level of success here. The company is huge, but I wonder what motivates you day to day when you wake up in the morning. What makes you say, "Okay, I'm going to go put in, you know, the long hours to work"? What's your main day to day motivation?
1: Well, I don't believe in in a working schedule. We don't apply that remote. So, I I believe in solving the best possible problem that I have or that I can. And then if I can, then I'll put people that can edit. so that is my motivation. I'll get up every day to solve that one thing that I can help solve. And then I move on to the next. It's a pure, simple optimization process. You go down and you look at all your processes and systems, you identify the most problematic ones, and you just fix those. Once those are done, you improve the rest, and doing that will get your system much more optimized. So that's me.
0: Amazing, and final question here, and I guess there's two parts to it, so maybe two questions. You've touched a little bit on that vision for the future of remote work. So can you just paint a picture for us? You know, What does that future of remote work look like? And then in terms of remote the company, what's that vision for remote the company?
1: Well, the future of work, it's the inversion of live to work and work to live, right? The future of work should be somehow grounded in the principles of you should do what you're passionate about. And what is the best thing you can bring onto yourself and all the others? Because as a species, that's how we evolve and we make each other better. Now, the reason why we don't do it today is because we need to put foot on the table. And in order to do that, we need to get money. And so we'll take all kinds of jobs and do all kinds of things, not necessarily because we enjoy it, but because they pay for, you know, our lifestyle, the things we need, the things we, we want. And so if we have a leveled world where you apply principles like universal income, you level the playing field and you remove, of course, you can always get more if you want to do more. But if you apply these principles, that means that everyone has a shot at being, you know, rather than engineer, can be the best woodworker your country can possibly have. And today, we know for a fact that we're missing out on so many jobs and roles across our civilization that certain areas are, you know, skyrocketing in, in demand and price because of that, you know, need. And it's not like everyone is happy. Most people are really sad and depressed when they go about their daily jobs. So the future of work is, you know, bridging the passion and removing, almost removing the money out of the equation so that you can focus on being your best version of yourself. As far as remote goes, my ambition is that we help bring that about by allowing companies to not think about the problem of how to do things when they should just be focusing on how to do business. You know, companies today, they still go through the hoops of, you know, how I'm going to scale my team. How am I going to pay these people? Where can I hire people? How can I get the best person for this job? This shouldn't be an issue in the same way that today, for instance, you grab your phone and if you want to talk to a friend, you just immediately think about, you know, iMessage, WhatsApp, whatever. You know, 20 years ago, there was no WhatsApp. And 20 years ago, you would pay heavily for a text message. So you would probably even consider just, you know, get off your ass and from take your ass from the couch and, uh, you know, go a few streets down and speak to someone because it was cheaper. Today, it's just unthinkable. You don't even think it. Just grab your phone and do something. So this is the same mindset. We want that the world has an expectation for work or handling and managing work that is just seamless. It's just done. It shouldn't be complicated. Companies shouldn't have to think through payroll. Companies shouldn't have to think through, through social contributions or helping people get a visa process in. That should be it. Just simple.
0: Amazing. I love that. Marcelo, I know we're up on time here. We're over time. So I'd love to keep you on and ask you another 50 questions, but we'll have to <laughs> save that for part two. Before yeah. we wrap here, if people want to follow along you know, with your personal journey as founder here, I think they already know where they can go, remote.com. That's obvious. But where can they find you personally if they want to follow along?
1: Well, I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm a massive shitposter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just follow me on Marcelo Lebra. My name is quite unique. I think I'm only disputing this name with someone else in Brazil, I believe. And he's not very active. So I'm very easy to find and LinkedIn on LinkedIn, on Twitter. If you just Google me, Marcelo Remote, very easily find me. Who
0: owns the domain for your name? Is it you or the Brazilian guy? The big question. Uh, <laughs> uh I do. You do? Good. So you have all the domains. Marcella, thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your story and talking so openly about all of this stuff and really sharing the vision for what you're building. This has been, I think, my favorite interview so far out of about 150 interviews. So thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Appreciate it. All
0: right. Thank you. Keep in touch. Take care.
1: Bye-bye.